The year is 1986. It is Sunday, April 13th, and through 54 holes at Augusta National, Greg Norman is in the lead at 600 par. There are four players just one stroke back, guys like Seve Ballesteros, Nick Price, and Bernard Langer. Two strokes back are guys like Tom Watson and Tom Kite. And all the way four strokes back is Sandy Lyle and some guy named Jack Nicholas. What is about to ensue is one of the most exciting Sundays in all of Masters tournament history. Big Jack is going to somehow, someway, win his sixth green jacket. This is a podcast unlike any other. I'm your host, Sean Zock, and it's time to dive into the 1986 Masters. I did it. I watched the entire final round broadcast. I did it for you. It's more than three hours long, but that's what we're here for. I made my boss watch it. That's Alan Bastable. Of course. And I also made Dylan DeChair watch it. Spoiler alert. Plenty of things to discuss, but to get us back in the mood of the times, it's 1986. The top three songs on the Billboard 100 are Rock Me Amadeus by Falco, Kiss by Prince, and Manic Monday by the Bengals. How old were you guys in 1986? We were negative six. Negative five for me. Yeah. Um, This was a manic Sunday. That's my transition. Wow. We need to introduce the characters. Um, We're using the first ever world golf ranking. It was just issued earlier that month. It was called the Sony World Ranking. Um, We've got Greg Norman. He's the number six player in the world. He's 31 years old, sponsored by Spalding. We've got Nick Price. He's 29, 52 in the world. He just shot the course record on Saturday. That's 63. Bernard Langer, defending champ at the, at the Masters, number one in the world. We've got Seve Ballesteros, 28, number two in the world, four-time major champ, two-time Masters champ. Tom Watson, six majors, number four in the world. He's 36. Tom Kite, also 36, no majors, 16th in the world. And then Jack Nicholas, 46, 13 majors, which is a freaking packed leaderboard. That's a lot of numbers, but Nick Price, when he shot 63, I had never seen that putt before. On 18, his putt goes all the way in the yeah. hole, not halfway down. That thing was in, spits out somehow. Yeah, I mean, Nick Price and Greg Norman are in the, the final pairing on Sunday, and Jack Nicholas is is way out more on the course than everybody else. That's something that probably gets lost, just how many people were between Jack and the final pairing. The broadcast, it begins with some really shoddy drone flying over the clubhouse, which drone is... Drone in 1986? I don't, I don't, even, I don't think so. That's, that's, that's someone's arm outside a helicopter <laughs> with a camcorder. It's got to be, yeah. It's a shot we would not see today. Yeah, makes you a little seasick. Yeah, no. Uh, N- uh, Jack doesn't appear on the telecast until 22 minutes in. Wow. That's how far up the radar he was. Mm-hmm. And then there's another probably... I think he just appears in, you know, some pairings that they slap up on the screen. I think there's a token shot you see, and then we don't see him again for another, like, 25 minutes. He's not in the first two pages of the leaderboard. Yeah, which is amazing because, you know, if you think about Tiger or Phil or somebody of note, right, who is within striking distance, five, even five, six, seven back, they're going to get a mention. Oh, yeah. Just simply for the narrative and to, you know, to, to keep viewers engaged not to say this leaderboard was lacking any firepower but no it's jack nicholas on a sunday who's five six back you think he's going to get a, a couple of mentions just didn't really happen until 
until the back nine. This is weird. I feel like you're reading my notes because this is exactly <laughs> the way I wanted to start this also. How unthinkable this would be if Tiger Woods was, <laughs> you know, starting off the back nine in relative contention still, but they are so much less like efficient in the way they're serving their viewership, right? Because presumably people want to see Jack Nicholas but they are not necessarily showing them they're covering the event. Now mm. it's like, we know people want to see tiger. We cover, we show tiger on the broadcast. So is that a good job by CBS or a bad job? I like because it. I think they, yeah. they get hate when we're showing too much of the stars and, mm. and you know, all of a sudden somebody shot 64 and they're like one off the lead and you've seen him hit like one shot all day. Now you guys watched 1986. You did not watch 1975. And actually this broadcast is way better. Like the pacing of it, you get way more golf shots. So we're, we're talking about how little you see of Jack Nicklaus, and it's actually way more than you would have even seen a decade prior. Um, Must-watch non-championship moment or aspect. Mine is Gary Player with the mid-round interview. He had missed the cut. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. He's in the Butler cabin with Musburger, and he's on his globalist podium. And the quote, Gary Player, what do you think about these foreigners playing? And, and he says... I don't oh, believe Steve, in the I word don't know. Foreigner. I don't believe in the word foreigners. I think we all just golfers playing all around the world. Tell us about Nick Price. Well, I think it's fair. I mean, the, I the, love it. The it was almost like a there's like this like uh, xenophobic streak it running was, throughout the telecast. It was. It was that word almost. foreigners. Like like who are these who are these people? They've come to <laughs> you know take over the golf world, and I think they'd won. They mentioned they'd won foreigners international players had won four of the last eight ma uh, masters and it was almost like a resentment from the yeah. from the u.s the exact quote was the invaders have intruded the last <laughs> was, eight years yeah, <laughs> but that was ben wright who said that yeah who's, who's, who's british so yeah it was so bizarre well and when they showed the, the tea invaders. times because each tea time the way it split up it was one american and one international player and so they said, for the final round, it's kind of like us against the world, if you will. Sandy Lyle of Scotland is paired with Jack Nicholas, the five-time winner. Us Tommy against the Nick. world. That's how they introduced the, I think that was Summerall was introducing the, the pairings that way. And then they brought in Gary Player to talk about it. Like, here's an international player. Yeah. Here's a foreigner. Another aspect of Gary in that interview, eventually, this starts at like the 1030 mark, but I think more into the 20 minute area is... Musburger asks him for his pick to win. He's like, Gary, I know you got to go. You got a flight to catch, but who do you think is going to win this thing? And that, that question itself just would not get asked on the broadcast today. And he ends up going with, with Seve, and he calls him, without a doubt, the best player in the world. I just thought that, that was kind of interesting, getting one Green Jacket's pick to win on the telecast. Can I reveal my favorite moment? Hell yeah. Corey Pavin on 16. Mm -hmm. I, don't I'm, I don't remember... Obviously, I was 10 years old in 86. I don't recall this watching this. And I don't remember him being in the mix. You never hear about him. But he was, I forget, one, two back at that point. I think he got he got to five with an eagle on 15. Yep. And at, I think, you know, Seve, I don't know where he was at that point. But, yeah, maybe he, he's probably two back. Yeah, he's coming off the eagle. Three holes left. And within a couple, and he just dunks it, you know, low hook into the water on 16. I I I can't recall seeing that much dejection He's from a heartbreak. from a tour pro outside of maybe you know. Well, describe Bryson. describe what he does. Well, he so he you know he hits this low slinger into the water, never had a chance, and he's just crestfallen. He's hands to he his sits head. Down. 
he 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 yep he walks around the tee box and then he takes a seat on the bench <laughs> puts his head in his hands yeah. like he's lost a family member i mean it's it is heartbreaking stuff you rarely see that kind of emotion yeah. after a bad shot you see anger but not like i think he was oh shit i just lost yeah. the masters and he was four over on that hole going into that shot throughout the event so the guy was just struggling on Brutal. the 16th hole. The and then demons. Of course, yeah. Great Especially flow, too. on a day when so many guys were, like, almost holing it on 16. Yeah. Go back and watch Corey Pavin because also a great mustache. Great stash. Yeah. Dylan, your nominee? My nominee, well, it's must-watch, but, you know, we didn't watch. The fact that Tom Kite and Seve each hold out for <laughs> eagle on yeah. number eight. Not, like, made eagle, hit the green, made eagle. Both hold out. Neither caught on camera. Yeah, we didn't really see. It. We just hear a passing mention, and all of a sudden, they have to reset and reintro the scene because all of a sudden, Sevy is like one shot up. Yeah, so I, I I think one of them is from outside of 100 yards. The other is from like 30 or 40 yards or something like that. But that is absolutely crazy. You and obviously times have changed. Over 30 years have gone by, but the fact that two eagles from the same group are holed out on the same hole and not one of them makes the broadcast. Kind of bizarre. Um, you know you who you can't watch that though. You know who doesn't have a great stash? Gary McCord, a young Gary McCord. Yeah. When they when they cut to him, I love that at the beginning where they pop all the uh, all the announcers up. It's like the beginning of a sitcom. I'm Bob Murphy. I'll be at the tenth hole. I'm Steve Melnick, and I'll be at the eleventh hole. I'm Kenny Venturi, and I'll be. At the... I'm Gary McCord. I'll be. I'm Ben Wright. I'll be at fourteen. I'm Jim Nance. I'll be at the sixteenth hole. One hundred eighty. I'm Vern Lundquist. I'll be at the seventeenth hole. And I'm Pat Summerall. I'll be at eighteen, a four hundred and five yard par four. Yeah, oh, got, it was incredible. I yeah. kind of like seeing their the faces. Bunch. I didn't yeah. mind that so much. <laughs> no, it was it's a little great. corny, but we wouldn't see that today. But they also, did McCord, that uh, I mean, McCord probably had, what, I don't know, a couple of minutes of mm-hmm. airtime. I mean, you barely hear him at all. And uh, and then Nance at 16, it's so obvious that he's a rising star. Oh, I mean, my gosh. It's so just, good. he was so smooth. That was exciting. Like, it's so obvious this guy's going to get the big jobs. I didn't, I didn't know that yeah, he was 26 he was gonna, at the time. 26. I didn't know he was going to pop up on 16 when they were flashing through these. It's like these, you know, godlike figures appearing on the screen as they pan through each picture hole. In picture, yeah. And they talk about the difficulty of each hole. And then there's that was good. Nance, 26-year-old Nance. Great flow. Yeah. He, like. He, every way he described every single shot, especially when Nicholas is coming up to 16, obviously a future uh, for Jim Nance in the in the business. Moving on, one of the other things I really liked was Weiskopf. He's one of these guys' peers, which we don't often get. We often, in today's broadcast, we get Johnny Miller or someone of that ilk kind of casting down to players they're not really close to. But... Weisskopf is not very different in age than Jack Nicholas. Weisskopf finished second place at the Masters four different times. This guy only has heartbreak, but he clearly has a lot of success at Augusta National. Um, when Jack is approaching his shot on 16, Nance asks Weisskopf, what is Jack thinking? And he delivers a great line. If I knew the way that he thought, I'd have won this tournament. I thought Weisskopf was, was incredible. Yeah, it's interesting too. They they're back in where, wherever they are, Butler Cabin. Yeah, Butler he's with Cabin. Musburger, and they kind of just so it's obviously very different from today, where they're up in the tower. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get to eighteen, and it kicks to Summerall and uh, Venturi, um, and they sort of just bounce back to Butler Cabin to provide some context every once in a while. Yeah, but he was good. I mean, very earnest. You know, I mean, almost to a fault. Mm-hmm. You know, On that. He, he, he wasn't exactly. He's, he's br- cheering for for Jack. Well, who wasn't? I mean, yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me? The whole. But you know, I don't. I don't know. He didn't. He lacked a certain personality. But uh, 
he's I, I think he's gotten better with age to be honest with you yeah like he's he's more lively and and more candid i think today than than he would have been mm-hmm. 30 years ago on that call nance was like setting up jack's tee shot on 16 and then jack picks up his tee because he doesn't like where he's teeing it up and he actually yeah. moves over that's the only reason that nance threw it back to weisskopf to begin that's with true. there were like 10 12 seconds where nance had already used his planned line and then it was like Jack still hadn't actually teed the ball up yet, so they went back to the booth. The other thing you're reminded of on that shot is is Jack's how bad his eyesight is. Yeah. Oh yes. This came up the other day because we were we we were actually doing an interview with Jack, and somebody mentioned he's actually colorblind, which I kind of knew, but I'd forgotten. Mm. And then that came back in a big way watching that tee shot when I forget who whether it was Nance or Weisskopf says he has no idea how good that is. Like he literally can't see it. You know, he almost holds out, hit two feet. And then on 17, you know, he hits that wicked snap hook, and which turned out to be a great place to 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 come in and attack that pin. But um, same thing, Lundquist says he has no idea where that ball is, so he's just he's hitting these shots, and it's like he can't even see where they're going. Yeah. But it's an interesting. I don't think it's talked about a lot, like Jack's eyesight, which is for a golfer you would expect them all to be, to be sort really of utilized. And, yeah. Um, maybe it's just a matter of just picking up the ball, not so much when he's standing over the ball. Yeah. Anything else before we get to kind of breaking down the the back nine that we need to discuss? Well, this is within the back nine, but Seve's stance on the 16th hole is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. He hits his tee shot, somehow ends up between the bunker and the green Yeah. on the very lip of the bunker, and he is... This is the same pin location that we currently have today, because that yes. was not the case in 75. Yeah, so this is maybe three inches from being in the bunker, three inches from kicking forward, being in there tight... Instead, it's literally like above his waist, and he's standing in the sand, and it looks like it's even softer sand than it is now. Yeah, it's falling. Sort of sliding down the wall, and he's gripping his putter like, like Happy Gilmore putted. Yeah, it's like six inches away from the end of the putter, and I just never seen anything like that. And for that to happen with the tournament in the balance, I mean, we'll get to how it all transpired, but that was nuts. We have uh, actual tour caddies. The, the The caddies were chosen by the players now and not Augusta National Caddies in 1986, because that was not the case in 75. I did not know that Seve was a Nike guy. I I never remembered him being a Nike athlete. Yeah, Yeah, I think I was maybe going to say this at the end, but I really got it a little more watching this broadcast in a way that I never had before the whole Masters thing and the Augusta thing, because I grew up kind of being skeptical of the whole place. But this was like, you know, you were just transformed into this whole world of Augusta National, of the Masters. It's Sunday afternoon. None of it is real. It's like you're entering a dream. Everything is bright green. You don't have a ton of context for what's where. Uh, the course kind of pops, but it's it's all sort of abstract. You don't really know where anything is relative to each other. And you're just entering, like as far as you know, it's just this perfect, controlled world. The announcers seem to have it all under control. It's all just, you know so carefully curated and there's like not a care in the world it's still the same music they've got the highlight packages queued up mm-hmm. i don't know i i Cue i felt some, like uh, piano music yeah, this is, i'm getting glassy over here yeah. i i i just felt like i understood the whole appeal a lot better than i have now that we sort of understand the whole place better mm-hmm. even now having been to augusta that has like almost nothing in common with the experience of watching this telecast on mm-hmm. tv that was nicely put. I think, you know, I watched this over, I started watching it last night 
I fell asleep after probably the first hour. Then I was watching <laughs> it. I watched this, like this middle third on on a train on my phone, and then I was scrambling to watch the the last third before we got in here in the office. But it was cool. It was. I mean, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Of course, but you're still. It's it's like watching a movie that you know one of your favorite movies where you're still sort of surprised by excited for the ending yeah. and like yeah, kind of so you pick up other things. I mean, I'd never sat down and watched three hours of the final final day, but. Um, you know, even the even the shots that you've seen a million times, just in the greater context to see it all play out over that three hour period was mm-hmm. was fun. Like I was, you know, you generally wanted to like keep watching. Totally. Um, well, and I I guess that comes back also to that not showing Nicholas thing. It really felt like organic. Like he really burst yeah. his way into the telecast and onto the screen. We kind of earned it. We weren't going to get Jack unless he was in the tournament. Totally. All of a sudden, he was. We don't get any of the first couple holes, so we get Greg Norman starting on the fifth hole. Scrambling. Wearing a watch while he's playing. The gold chain is probably yeah. rarer than yeah, a, than a like watch. But just the lightest blonde hair. It's peak Norman, is it not? It is. I mean, that dude, mm-hmm. he, I, you know, it's it's hard to look cool in 1986 <laughs> when you look back, but this guy in his Sansa belts and his black shoes, blue, blue pants. the resplendent mop of hair, and then the... The uh, the gold chain. I mean, just blue pants were in too. Blue, blue yeah. Jay Haas and, and Tom Watson both had blue pants. Yeah, just I mean, I don't know. I would just give him the green jacket if I was playing against him because <laughs> that guy was he was something else. But man, he was scrapping it around the golf course. What did they say? He got up and down in like three of the first four holes yeah. or something before he yeah. came on. Yeah, I mean, he made his par on the first five holes. Birdies the sixth, uh, and so he shoots one under on the front. And it just really starts to go downhill for him. He basically pulls a Rory. Yeah, ten on ten, but he hooks his first drive into the trees and it kicks back to the fairway. That was a horrendous drive. So bad, and so he's still got two hundred plus yards, and that's when he kind of tries to play a little hero ball. And that's the tenth hole is just really, it's a difficult hole that a lot of guys are just happy with par on. He overcooks his approach. It was a horrendous second shot. And another horrendous second shot. He ends up being between two trees. I definitely took a screenshot of it. He's like, these trees just aren't in play for anybody else that you right. ever see. I don't even know. Are those even still there? They're probably it, that, not. There's something weird about it. It was either the camera angle or a couple of trees that are no longer. It just looked different. Because a lot of guys have hit shots from over there, obviously. And something seemed different. Yeah. I liked how it went over there and he said, I hope that hits someone. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he overcooks his approach and kind of hopes it hits someone. Uh, he ends up chipping away from the trees into the bunker, doesn't get up and down. He ends up making double bogey. And at that point, it's all of a sudden Seve's tournament. So this tournament has changed hands, and it's really getting good because Jack makes a little run. He birdies 9, 10, and 11. And he gets onto the broadcast, and all of a sudden, they start talking about it real quick. Out of the back bunker, but it's Jack Nicklaus, the man of the hour. It's been 11 years since he donned that fifth green jacket. But then that fades because he plays 12 really, really bad. Overcooks his approach far left. He, I mean, he hits it a good 35 yards left of the pin. Yeah. And then, it, you know, just a really safe chip. Perfect weight, but he still has 10 feet left. Mm-hmm. So he, when, he, when he goes from 5 under to 4 under on 12... He's three back of Seve, who's got multiple par fives ahead of him. I don't know. Those kind of people you end up just writing off in the Masters. When, you have, when you're running out of par fives and running out of time and you're making bogey when everyone else is making par, literally everyone else in the top ten made par where Jack made bogey on 12. 
The uh, one of the one of the most underrated shots was that chip fr- on fourteen when he hits it beyond the green. You know how fast that is going down the hill. Yeah, he chips it to like yeah two feet. Yeah, almost makes it, and so he gets his par. And like nineteen seventy five, everything just crescendos at fifteen. But it was kind of crescendoing for multiple people. You didn't really know. Like the tournament wasn't won on 15. Jack Nicholas is four shots back going yeah. to 15. And there were eagles being made by everybody. And everyone had like a 20-foot putt for eagle. I don't know if maybe that, that hole was playing just super approachable or like the maybe the green wasn't as fast, but everyone was making eagle there, it seemed. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting discussion point. We talked about this when we did the – the uh, 68 Masters, how how differently the course played, and mm-hmm. obviously hitting different clubs in. Most guys had about seemed like 200 at uh, at 15. Yeah, and like less than that in the 13. There was a lot of like 180 in yeah. the 13. But still, I mean, guys now have 150 in in there if you really turn around the corner. Um, but it seemed like yeah, I mean that's that's a terrifying shot, a 200 yard four iron mm-hmm. in 1986, and yeah, everybody seemed to be just throwing darts and at, at 15 so it felt like there was a focus there but in reality the focus was still on 13 because Seve was playing 13 right and Seve with the lead over norman over everyone else he hits this shot and i think he's saying fantastico fantastico but it's it's not super easy to understand it was fun to watch 13th be the 13th hole being played like the way it's meant to be played yeah you know where guys are smoking driver and getting to that 200-yard mark. Nowadays, guys are hitting three wood to even less than that. But he makes a, basically an eight-foot eagle putt on 13 to get to nine under par. Yeah, he ran his approach shot like up the left side, off the back slope, comes back down to like eight so, feet. So elegant. So, well, it's interesting that like that's a great point because it was sort of his trajectory presumably was lower than like I think Kite yeah. hit a very similar shot or landed in Nicholas, vert- Nicholas hit a very similar shot for Nicholas sure yeah. Too, yeah where it lands in virtually the same spot but if you don't if you're not hitting that low runner it just kind of sits down there as opposed to making its way back to the hole when you look at like the scoreboard and the movement on it Jack was at five under and Seve was at nine then like no one unless they have multiple par fives is going to say Jack is going to win this tournament it is Seve multiple time masters champion no one's going to take this from him here comes Jack. Yeah, so Jack makes the eagle on 15. Seve's still at 9. Makes and they say, there's life in the old bear yet. Yeah, yeah. like all these lines. But the first, the first, yes, sir. Right? Yeah. Ben Wright. Ben Wright. Uh, says, yeah. yes, yes, sir. sir. The battle is joined. My goodness. Again, I vaguely remember hearing that or reading that. But I had to rewind that. I'm like, wait, Ben Wright said yes, sir? Isn't that, isn't that Vern Lundquist's famous line? Exactly. So has Vern, did Vern, has Vern cop to sort of hearing that? I think, I feel no. like he might have. It was really interesting. I was like, wait a minute. Why doesn't Ben Wright get credit for that line in the, in the way that Lundquist did? And then Lundquist says it again when Norman makes birdie at 17. We get another yes sir from uh, One of from three Vern. yes sirs in the broadcast. So I don't know if it was something they had been talking about or what the deal was, but that first yes sir is Jack on 15. Yeah. And every time that Jack, like, finished out a hole, you, you kind of saw him, like, look at his son, Jack Nicholas Jr., a.k.a. Jackie, like a deep breath every time he, he finished. Right. And especially on 16, he hits the shot 
the epic shot, everyone goes crazy. Nance is kind of silent during the shot. And Jack just kind of like, he like breathes out. It just, it feels like he's just almost a little bit unbelieving of what he is doing on his own ball. It's kind of weird. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, obviously talked about this a lot, but he was literally tearing up and having problems focusing. I mean, can you imagine with your son on the bag? And his crowd, in that moment, the people following him yeah, is like a tiger crowd today. Yeah, no doubt. You could hear that there was all of a sudden there was no one following Norman. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the galleries at 18, is it just me? Seem to be way bigger in '86. <laughs> like or, or in that era. I don't know if they just allowed more people on the property. They sold more tickets. Those crowds, I mean, were 30 deep, literally like halfway down the fairway. I don't, you don't really see that today. Yeah, all Nance says during Jack's approach on 16 is, "Oh my," that's it. Two words, very simple, uh, and no one really remembers that he was even calling that. But he, like Jack, looks incredulous when he makes the birdie there and so all this time there's a group between jack's group and sevy's group sevy's in the fairway after hitting his his shot he's still at nine under jack is basically tap in birdie on 16 and tommy nakajima is trying to put out on 15 but he can't because people on 16 are going crazy keep stepping off stepping off (laughs) in his in his master's hat yeah in a master's logo hat you gotta love that the, uh, you know, Tom the, Watson is also there. He's yeah. like waiting for the yeah. crowds to well, settle that's, down. That's Augusta, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it just, but it's just that is basically the ripples of Jack Nicholas, right. just literally moving their way outward and causing all play to stop, which right. is I've never seen something like that. I Let's, know that it happens there, but it's never happened while I was there. We need to talk about Seve's approach shot on 15. Yeah. Because I believe in 85, I did not watch the whole thing. But I believe that's where his hopes went to die in the 85 Masters also in the pond in front of the 15th green. He misses this shot by 40 yards. I mean, maybe more. This thing barely makes the pond. He hits this low snap hook second shot on 15. I mean, I couldn't believe it. In the mind of Seve, he's out there from the same distance that everyone else is hitting from. You've got a one-shot lead on Jack Nicklaus, who has two more holes to play. Like, just, I mean, the worst thing that you can do is hit him in the water. Just get it over the yeah. water. But he knows exactly what had just happened at 16. Yeah. So don't think he's not thinking about oh, that. Oh, no, and definitely like, not. You know, you know, it's like any time there's a, there's a favorite and the galleries are willing this player to win and you're not that guy. Oh, like It's got to be brutal. You're an invader. And yeah. you're Seve. He's not invader. used to being the – he's used to being the fan favorite. Yeah. That but, shot – I think it was the worst shot in the broadcast. Oh, come on now. Wait a minute. We'll get to that later, but I think it is. Um, so Jack now hits on 17. Alan, you alluded to this earlier. He hits a hook off the tee, but kind of gets lucky. Yeah, yeah, get very lucky. I mean, it was it appeared to be dead. It was one of those ones where the camera guys had no idea where the ball was. And the next thing you know, he's he's got 100 and, I don't know, 50 yards staring right down at the pin mm-hmm. yeah great, not great even. angle like 128 or is that something. all it was yep. yeah i mean couldn't have a better angle in like that's a whether much not, better spot yeah. than the middle of the fairway whether or not you can actually see the pin right his perspective. well exactly the masters is one of the few places as, as an announcer i think you can get away with like just horrible puns and <laughs> cliches if you whisper them at the right time with the right inflections and right gravitas the number of like bad bear and golden bear puns 
that were uttered on, on that afternoon. Not good, but they, they're all become like classic calls because of the moment. As Norman walks up 18, they said, A bear and a shark tied. Are we safe? Are we safe? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I remember that. Uh, all right, so Jack gets, he gets up to the green at 17. And at this point, Seve has made bogey. He's eight under. Jack is at eight under. Also at eight under is Tom Kite. No one's talk. I mean, they're giving him love on the broadcast, but we haven't even barely mentioned the guy. Yeah. Tom Kite is playing the round of his life. Yeah. He really is. He hasn't won a major yet. He's 36 years old, kind of running out of his golf prime. They called him Sneaky Long at one point. I'd never heard that. I'd, I wouldn't have realized that by 86, people were already described as sneaky, sneaky long. long. Does that even exist? Yeah. So he had made birdie on 15. He's at eight under. Three big-time players in the world all tied at the same score. You're kind of destined for a playoff at that point. And another thing that Vern says on 17 before Jack hits a putt is prowling over his 20th major win. That's not horrible. I mean, no, no, no. Relatively speaking, I'm talking about the twenty part, 20th. not the prowling part. Oh, 20th. that was that was referenced a lot. I thought you were talking about the bear pun. Yeah. When, the, 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 um, when did we lose track of the USAM as a major that counted? That's a good question. I, I, I thought know. by '86 because it was referenced a few times on the telecast. Yeah. Uh, that in the in the in the 20. Butler cabin interview. Yeah. That's just pure I, stubbornness. I think Bamberg was writing about this actually awesome. for the april issue like when the majors became officially became the majors i would have thought it was way earlier than 86 Me too. um but i guess not hmm. before tiger started winning them yeah yeah tom kite they re- at one point they referenced him as having sort of the best record of yeah. anybody who hadn't won the master i'm just looking back so he i mean it is re- it is remarkable from 75 to 86 in that stretch only two years did he not finish in the top 10 wow the masters 75, T10, T5, T3, T18, 5, T6, T5, T5, T2, T6. Missed a cut in 85 and then the the T2 in 86. That's insane. That's, I mean, that's probably as good a run as anybody's ever had. Without winning. Without winning. That is incredible. Maybe any major ever. Yeah, probably. And then then really not much. And then he didn't do it much until 94 where he finished fourth. I feel bad for him. And then famously second behind Tiger in 97. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, by whatever 15 strokes um all right so we get the second yes sir at 17 jack's putt they call it 18 feet on the broadcast was it that long i don't think it was that was like 12 feet yeah but look pretty close. shot link either way the thing is you only like jack on 17 the only highlights of it are him hitting the putt but you kind of when you see the approach it's just a completely different angle it seems super foreign you're like that putt only there's that word again yeah, foreign. It, like you only know Jack on that hole to be the putt, but the approach is obviously what gets him in position for it. His putter is ridiculously big. That putter head, yeah, it's like cartoonish. Seymour. It's like one of those big plastic yes. things. Yeah, not really by today's standards, but certainly in '86. Weisskopf had an interesting remark. Then he said that was like the only time all week he kept his head still on that putt on 17. Really? Yeah, where he actually kind of kept it down and I don't know in the appropriate position. Weisskopf also said, following that, he said, I jumped up. That's, That's the record book of golf we're looking at right there. I like that line a lot. Yeah. I wonder what the scene was like in the press room. I mean, we always joke about the European writers cheering at the mm-hmm. Ryder Cup. Yeah. I'm sure there was some yelping as Jack was. I mean, how could, how could you not? Like, objectivity needs at some point has to go out the window. I also just wonder, 33 years ago, like, are is the live broadcast 
really good in the press room or are all these guys out on the ground? Uh, certainly they'd have the, Something. the CBS telecast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, probably not the cameras at every hole. Yeah. But they would have been aware of what was going on. Yeah. That's sure. back when golfers actually went on the golf course. And, yeah. <laughs> and when it, and when the Masters had, when Augusta had press towers, we could actually see things out there. Well, yeah. and you didn't have to have your game story ready when the last putt dropped either. You had a little more leeway. Yeah. So Jack Nicholas gets to nine under on 17. And at this point, you're like, okay, well, now it's over, right? Seve has got no chance. Tom Kite's going to have to make a really good birdie somewhere. But slowly, quietly, all of a sudden, Greg Norman starts making a charge. Oh, right? yeah. Well, and they cut to commercial here, and then they bring it back. Summerall reintros the whole thing, sets the scene. It's perfect timing for it because all of this is happening. Norman still has a few holes to play. There's got to be nobody following Norman. Anytime he no, makes there was his... still there was still I mean guys, people are camping out like yeah. down 16 when he made that birdie there was I'm just was, thinking like many 14 and he's birdieing tough holes yeah. he birdies 14 15 is a pretty easy birdie yeah then he birdies 16 gets to eight yeah like Jackson the clubhouse at nine under almost holes his long birdie putt on 18 seven was yeah dead on line feet short yep Seve also makes bogey on 17. Yeah, so sorry, I didn't want to skip that either because, again, just a moment of craziness. Seve just hits his first putt like 15 feet past the hole. <laughs> he basically takes the aggressive line that like a 15 handicap would take. He's got a 50-foot putt, and he takes the line of like going dead at it with a lot of pace. Yeah. Misses it, of take course. Take the break out of it. Take and then He almost looked like he was going to Mickelson it and scoop it up. He was just sort of like, well, it's something you or I would do, just bang it by the hole. And yeah. Just, yeah, the rest of that's good. So he misses his par putt. Seve's down to seven under. Tom Kite's still at eight. Tom Kite makes his par, and he's got he's got a birdie 18 to tie Jack. Greg Norman's still kind of plugging along. Tom Kite's coming up 18 and hits potentially the shot of his career. Great shot. Back pin. The pin on 18 is not where it normally is today. All the way back. There. It's all the way back. It's kind of where like the second round pin is at Augusta right. on 18, which is a super difficult spot to get to without going long or short because there's a, this ridge. And so Kite banks his ball into the ridge and it releases a little bit. And he's got how many feet for birdie? 12, 12 feet. feet. 12, 14 feet. Talking, Only five birdies on 18 all day. This is like a ridiculous pin. And Norman, obviously, at 8-under as well, coming up 17. Kite's putt on 18. So close to going in. Shorts it. So close, though. Just falls low. Low side. The ominous part about that is that the broadcaster, right before he's about to hit the putt, he kind of whispers it. Right here. Don't Don't be short. It's brutal. But when Kite misses this thing, you can tell it's like, devastating you know he crouches down and does the whole thing now he didn't go full Corey Pavin but he was really bummed and Seve has no patience for him Seve's out there trying to finish his his round and hit his putt in so Tom Kite's out of it Seve's out of it at this point it's just Norman and Nicholas and Norman hits like you said potentially the shot of the tournament on 17 he is way left. They cut to him quickly. There's not much time, and he's hitting like through the uprights. He has to hit it between two trees, but keep it under the branches. And he hits this crazy like stinger punch shot. I didn't know what he was going to do because I didn't remember he'd, well, you he were had not done born this yet. on 17. 
but this thing just trickles up perfectly to what eight or ten feet just mm-hmm. scampers up the whole fairway all of a sudden he's got another birdie putt it's remarkable how many squirrely shots he hit it's my <laughs> I mean, favorite thing about this broadcast yeah just really when he got to the back nine we didn't we didn't see the front nine but you know if norman has an achilles heel which obviously he did it's just those the clutch moments. big shots and big i mean he had more talent than anybody but man it was all or nothing on this back nine because he how many birdies did he make like four or five birdies on, on the back nine. on the back nine he made four all in a row 14 through 17. 14 15 16 and then he makes that birdie putt on 17 we get our third yes sir Second from Burton Lundquist. It's like going back to the well. Patenting it. And then the tough shot on 18 is the tee shot. He splits the fairway. But did you see his foot slip? No. This is something that a YouTube commenter pointed out about his approach into 18. But his tee shot, his right foot actually slips out from behind him. And I was like, wow, I wonder if that's just a part of his swing or if he's just swinging really hard. But he finds a fairway. It's all good. But then on his approach shot. Yeah. His foot also slips. I noticed it on his approach shot because I went through this shot over and over and over <laughs> trying to figure out if that ball hits on the hosel of his club. <laughs> what did you, I what did do you not out? think this was a true shank. I think he just froze up. He gets super stuck inside. Body just freezes up, doesn't rotate through the ball, and just shoots it out dead right, like it's... way right into the middle of the crowd, right of the bunker, right of everything. I'm glad you said middle of the crowd because on the broadcast, you have this square view and all you see are people. You don't see a bunker. You don't see the 10th hole. You don't see any grass or leaderboard. All you see is people, which means he's literally hit the ball into the dead center of the gallery. It's just patrons. Yeah. I mean, can you think, of a, so can you think of a worse shot in a big moment? I mean, Zach was saying Seve on 15. <laughs> no, but this was, Seve this another was, a, bad big, shot this was on, a bigger moment. 17, I mean, all, but, the, all he had to do was make par. And he goes to a to playoff. To get into a playoff. Yeah. He's got, what, what did we say the yards was? Buck 70, 80? Yeah, something easy. Which is crazy. He's hitting four iron. Greg Norman's hitting a 100. Yeah. Are we sure he's hitting four iron? Uphill. It was, they did say it was four iron. I, I don't know the yardage, but yeah. it, that felt about right. And, man, you've never seen anybody hit one over there ever. And I, yeah, in some ways, I think that pin position is more interesting for Sunday. Oh man, because how many, how many, how many good finishes have we seen with that? Yeah, that, that you know, they get the backstop when it's birdies, on the lower half of the green. Yeah, just, the birdies are feels like a much easier shot. If you, you only just see a couple you guys, a lot of guys nowadays will are hitting like nine iron into the current pin position. Yeah, and granted, things are different with technology and the ball and the equipment, but they're often spinning their shot back where the pin currently is. You yeah, would not see guys throwing the ball past this pin. No. This no, you have to hit a cool shot to run it up. No I mean, maybe now you would, no. but so I agree. It is I mean, the potential for bogey. There's just there. more I think it's more interesting yeah, like potential outcomes back there. Yeah. And then the shot he was left with, like that thing's brutal. You gotta give him credit. Oh, he having, hit a pretty, having hit one of the worst shots of his life. I don't know if then he could do better than he downhill, did. tight lied, yeah. Surrounded by people with a bunker nervy chip shot, bunch uh, bump and run, whatever it was. Bump and, and run. It was and, touch class there. I mean, yeah. he leaves himself with probably 12, 12 feet. Makeable putt, for like sure. You just said 12 feet for every putt. But That's happened. I think it was. Number. Yeah. But it uh, it wasn't to be. It, no. The putt never really and there's Never, really, never really in there. And almost immediately on the broadcast, after Norman you know, closes out and finishes at eight under, 
they go to this picture of the 12th hole. Unbelievable. This like, moment. So quickly, 12th hole, we're off, we're off of Norman, we're off 18, all of a sudden you're at Amen Corner, and there's a picture-in-picture picture of Jack Nicholas looking up at the sky. Some graphics dude was so proud of that. <laughs> it was so it, weird. It looked like something from, uh, from Nintendo Golf. It looked like Happy Gilmore when they have Chubbs up in heaven, yeah, like waving did. down at Happy right. Gilmore. Some kind of memorial. Yeah. And they cut straight to this thing. Yeah, they must have been fired oh, up. Oh, they had, they had this queued ready. Up. <laughs> ready to go for sure. Oh, man. And and then the you know so just cool. I mean we've we've had the had the great fortune, great yeah. pleasure, of being on the, around that 18th green after after guys win. It's cool. And but there was a like, the the, the Pinkerton, Pinkerton guards. Those guys were just smiling, you know, ear to ear, couldn't contain themselves. They're I mean, shaking a, Jack's hand. Yeah, the, people that, are kind of running up and trying to shake hands yeah. with them. There's the famous scene described in Riley's SI write up from from that day where you know there was. His arm emerged from the from the scoreboard. Yeah, and all you could see was this arm fist pumping as Jack made his way up. So there must have been little scenes like that going on oh, all over the, all over the the eighteenth uh, green. We got to talk a little bit about the Butler Cabin interview. So the first episode of this podcast is nineteen seventy five, which is a similar scenario to nineteen sixty eight, in which they have the direct losers, like they had Johnny Miller and Tom Weiskopf in on the leather couch with Jack Nicholas talking about their failings, you know, and love it. They we've now graduated away from that. The nineteen eighty six Butler Cabin interview, only Jack and Sam Rudolph, who is the low amateur. And a couple other people in the room, obviously. You've got Musburger doing the intro, and then the chairman is a guy named Horde Hardeen. Horde Harden. Harden. Horde Harden, excuse me. Sean just lost his credential this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harden one has a note card balancing on his lap that he keeps looking down at, <laughs> which it's like, oh god, that's just not a good look. This guy was not great in delivering. He needed a Red Bull, or well, there was no Red, yeah, Jolt. He needed a Jolt soda. You <laughs> he may have had that. a couple, a uh, couple mint juleps throughout the course of the day. Yeah, it would. It, I mean, just a little energy. For God's nothing. sake, Jack Nicholas just won the Masters. How, it's like, how about how he referenced just, the low am? He says, "Yeah, you know, it's great to see you, Sam Randolph. It's great to have you back as a." as our low amateur, and I hope you had a nice day. I hope you had a nice day. You can visibly <laughs> see, who's, who's, the, who's the amateur? Sam Rudolph. Of course, Sam Rudolph. Like, you can see him swallow so hard, he's so nervous, which is fair. You know, he's probably a 21-year-old kid. But Well, uh, and it really felt like, you know, you're at a, I don't know, a college graduation party talking yeah. to your your, yeah, your dad's, like dad's business friend, friend. Or, yeah <laughs> it's like uh, what are your future about? plans yeah Plastics. very very weird um jack was good though uh, yeah jack in was good there. he said he hasn't had this much fun in six years it sounded like if you didn't know he's really been like kind of struggling with his golf game he was 33rd yeah. in the world ranking yeah it sounded like he was like he knew he could win he blames the media well like any good <laughs> professional athlete would yeah no i mean the famous story is right the the writer from uh from the atlanta constitution journal who said jack's washed up yeah. and then you jack can't win at 46 can't win he put that clip up on his refrigerator or something it yeah all i've been hearing he said, win. you can't win at 46 yeah yeah but i mean to be fair what did he he'd missed four of seven cuts i think or missed a cut four times and seven starts that year he had nothing going two years since he'd won six years since he won a major so it wasn't exactly like a burning hot take yeah. to say that 
Jack was <laughs> was not going to win that Masters no. or have a chance. Jack won $144,000, which is a lot less than the $2 million yeah, what place Patrick is that Reed now? won last like year. T12 now? Yeah, it's, it's pretty low. I have no further thoughts on the broadcast, but we do have to answer the Roberto DiVincenzo Award for what could have been. What was like the biggest screw-up? Is it Seve or Norman? I'm really torn. I don't think you guys are torn. Part of me is like it obviously has to be Norman because he just needed a par. But I think Seve had the worst shot under pressure with the lead. Like he blew the lead and Norman blew his chance to tie. Seve had multiple strokes over Jack and it unraveled in that 15th approach. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to repeat myself a little bit, but yeah, I would disagree. I think because Nor- Norman in that situation knew exactly what he needed to do. Yeah. Seve didn't like Seve mm-hmm. didn't really know the obviously the outcome. He didn't know what Jack was how Jack was going to finish. He didn't know whether you know he needed the eagle or birdie or make par. So listen, it wasn't a good shot. I'm oh, not, I'm not defending so the swing there, yeah. but like I said with from where Norman was on 18 and it'd be one thing if he had to make birdie. Yeah. But just middle of the green, leave yeah. yourself 40 feet two putt up the up the hill and you're in a playoff and you know playoff versus jack you probably like your chances i do Um, wonder if norman was trying to make like desperately trying to make birdie because that pin like you said is just it's tough to get close to yeah no one's getting closer than kite did yeah he was at yeah i mean right that's his mo he's not he wasn't a conservative player so maybe yeah he was trying to fire one back there to give himself a good look for for three but, I just think uh, that the Seve miss, it like kind of instantly changed the entire tournament. Yeah, no doubt. Where do you fall, the chair? Um, definitely Norman. I mean, especially just the way it all went down. The way you played the 10th hole, that just disgusting double bogey. I mean, at that point, he had the lead going to the back nine. He is lucky to make double at 10. But then to have that rally, birdieing 14, 15, almost holing it at 16, bad tee shot at 17 but then makes a ridiculous birdie and then oh it's i mean it's got to be the worst single moment of his career you would think hitting that shot oh yeah like singular on shot on 18 yeah. singular shot i think he might point to 96 as his biggest yeah failing. collective failing yeah. but this was like just execute one shot you're in the playoff didn't do it did worse than not doing it hits a near shank Still friend of golf.com. That's right. Love Good friend of, yeah. And I mean, look, tip of the cap for four birdies in a row on 14 through 17. Oh, he and Nicholas each played those holes in four under par. So, I okay. I'll, I agree with you guys now because what could have been? I mean, imagine if he birdies 18 to win. Ooh. Like he put himself in position to go five birdies for the win in a row. You know, one final note at, at 46. So Phil Mickelson is. 48 yeah if he wins the masters this year great story obviously but it's not like you know and surprising but yeah nowhere near and part part of this again was jack was just not in form yeah and we hadn't heard from him in a while yeah. i mean if phil wins the masters what's your reaction going to be not like jack winning in 86 or yeah. th- or any other 40 i tried thinking about this the entire time i was watching because Nicholas was ranked 33rd in the world. Phil currently 29th, like in his late 40s. It, the, the similarities are all there. 
I just it's the way that he did it, which is coming back on the back nine with a bogey. You don't think it's that? You no. just think it's the the no. aura of Jack? Yes. Okay. The, the, just the I mean, everything we've been talking about for the last hour is just this energy around. It was just like a. It was like going back in time. Yeah. It really was, and that's how they were describing the moment. That's the feeling you got watching it. And you would not get that same feeling. Yeah, the whole hibernation with, with thing, Phil but... doing. Even if Phil shot thirty on the back and yeah. went on a tear, it would be a phenomenal story. Everyone would be electrified by it, but it would not be Jack winning at forty six. I mean, and it, I think that's just the, the game has changed in that sense. It's yeah. just it's easier to win uh, or stay competitive. Um, you know, well into your forties, if not your early fifties. Um, there so was just, something that felt so miraculous about this too, though. I mean, his last 10 holes, he makes six birdies and an Eagle <laughs> and a bogey. He, he, and a bogey. And he makes two pars. Each one of those pars, the ball is probably two full rotations from going, going in. in. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And this was yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. Miraculous. That might be the way that we need to end it. Cause that's probably what it was. Uh, that's it for this episode. That's it for 1986. We've had plenty of Jack Nicholas thus far. Next week, we move one year into the future where Jack Nicholas puts the green jacket on Larry Mize. It was an epic finish in 1987, perhaps the greatest finish in the tournament's history. Spoiler alert. Tune back in for that one. We'll see you then.